Do you aspire to become a responsible leader? How do you see yourself now as a young man? Learning from challenges is one thing, but getting opportunities is another. If you're a young man who wants to learn about personal growth, life lessons, and leadership, tune in to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. What's happening, sir? <laughs> yeah, I'm just happy to be here with you, man. This is awesome. Look forward to uh, hanging out with you guys for a bit. Yeah, man. It's. I feel like I talked to you recently. It seems like it hasn't been long. It does, yeah, right? So I had the pleasure of uh, of going on Alan's show here just a couple of hours ago, man. So we got to have a, a great chat, man, and, and turn around and come right back into it with, with all these handsome gentlemen too, man. So this is going to be fun, man. So you kind of have an idea of, of how we're going to roll and, and what we're going to do, but I want to give these guys a little context too. So gentlemen, um, Again, yeah, Alan and I got to connect earlier today. Got to do had the honor of doing his show, and and uh, his podcast is phenomenal. Um, we got introduced by Larry Hagner, and so Larry obviously is a dear friend, and and uh, you know part of the the Dad Edge or the founder of the Dad Edge, and and um, Larry reached out and was like, "Hey, man, you guys got to connect. Like, this is just you know, this is a guy that's he's like, this is a guy that's right in your wheelhouse, and man, the guy thinks like you do and operates like you do, and just man, you guys got to connect. He's just such a really good human being, and um, so we had the opportunity to jump on and and uh, chat a little bit and and have uh, have some great conversations. So I knew it was going to be an easy deal, but then the other night I get this text message from our 001 brother Luke Carpenter. Let me see if I can find it. And when I had posted that uh, that Alan was going to be joining us, Luke sends me this. He goes, how the heck do you know Alan Blaine? It's Sarah's brother's father-in-law. So there's a family. So Sarah's brother. So you say it from your perspective, because I'm not very smart. Say it from your perspective, how you and Luke are. So, so my daughter married his brother-in-law. Got it. Got it. His wife's brother. He, Got it. Yeah. 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 His wife's brother married okay. my daughter. Yeah. So funny, man. Small world, super small world. And so then, then Luke, who, you know, everybody here has the utmost respect for just went on about what a great guy you are and all this stuff. And so uh, it's cool, man. It's so cool. And that's honestly the biggest thing for me is, you know, we bring gentlemen in every single week and, and a lot of times it'll be related to, you know, some of the themes that we dive into over the course of this 12 months, right? Like we're talking about self-reliance and, and so we have Joel Salas and, you know, come in or we're whatever it is. So we, we, we relate it. And sometimes I just go, Hey, this is a man who lives the Apogee code overall and is successful in, in all the areas that we're pushing to be successful in, in that faith, family, fitness, finances. Um, and that's, that's you. It, and so uh, it's exciting, man. But I actually want to start with Alan Blaine in, in his own words. So let's start there. Who are you in your own words? We'll get a little background and then we'll get these guys in, in the mix. Well, I've never been asked that question before, Matt. Who am I in my own words, huh? I am a broken man that has learned a lot of hard lessons in life and a guy who at one point in my life, I'm an overachiever. I'm a type A personality. I'm a perfectionist by nature. And, um, I, I really, I, I've learned a lot the hard way. Um, I had to get really broke. It's, it's sad story, but I had to get really broken and have a lot of hard happen to me 
why I named my podcast and my book that's coming out next month, that life's hard succeed anyway, because I believe we all have hard, it's just varying levels of hard and we can succeed anyway. It does not define us. It does not, it doesn't hold us back. In fact, it can be the catalyst to facilitate amazing things that we may not have ever been able to do otherwise and develop character traits and qualities in us that just wouldn't have happened otherwise. So I can see that now, but I'm a guy that had to go through some really hard about a decade ago when on the outside looking in, you would have said, dude, you've got a hot wife. You've got six amazing kids. You're healthy. You're fit. Yeah. You're bald, but you're not the ugliest guy I've ever seen. And you're make you know, you're pulling in a very high seven figure income. Like you, you've got it all. And I really didn't have hardly anything I started to realize. So I'm a guy that had to go through a really dark season to learn and I'm still learning some of the things that many of you are light years ahead of me based on probably your age I'm 51 um married 31 years 50 which that by the way just still makes me angry that you're 51 and you look <laughs> fantastic like no you look you look great I love that second part though married 31 years yeah yeah almost September 12th uh will be 31 years awesome man it's so but i'm a guy that just cares about impacting lives now i did a 180 degree pivot professionally i ended up with a dui i ended up in jail about nine years ago and i was a uh, police officer i spent five years with the california highway patrol arresting 15 to 20 duis a month uh, i've worked all over the state of california five different offices i've worked for an atlanta pd this is going back many years ago um and then i woke up being that guy I'm like what in the world like my money couldn't get me out of it my form you know my my badge here in my drawer couldn't get me out of it and so I just had to reevaluate everything I was doing and I've done a 180 degree pivot on nearly everything including a career gosh do so do you mind if we unpack a little bit of the a little bit of that on the broken side but I also want to give a little bit of the Okay, went from law enforcement, you know, the CHP law enforcement. I know you had this trajectory into you left that, went into uh, went into a business where you were, you know, heading up like a forty million dollar a year company, right? And there's so that transition. I'd like to discuss how you knew. Okay, time to leave this and and a completely different career turn. So I want to look at it from a professional standpoint, but also that personal standpoint, if you don't mind. Um, so maybe we'll go on the professional side first and go, why, why the jump? What did that look like? Um, and then let's talk about the lessons learned through, you know, some of that personal stuff too. Sounds great. So, so, I, highway so, patrol. so highway patrol, why the jump from highway patrol? You want to start there or yeah. Why, why, okay. why do you leave that? Cause that's a, that's a, one of those forever careers yeah right like yeah, yeah. oh my gosh just stick it out stick dude you're gonna yeah. get pension you've got all that right like you don't leave that kind of job so yeah most don't most don't so i uh yeah you retire at 90 percent at age 50 you know it's not a bad gig you know five dollar medical anything for the rest of your life at least that's what it was then five dollar co-pays um i only really wanted two things in in my college years or even my high school years. I wanted to play major league baseball and I want, I knew I wanted to be a husband and a father someday. I had no clue how to be a good husband or father, but I knew that's what I wanted. Those two things. And uh, after my second year of college, playing baseball in college, Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, uh, central California, um, 
I, I ended up realizing in major league baseball was not going to happen. I'm five ten. I'm only throwing 90 miles an hour and I'm already having shoulder problems from not even from a lot of reasons. It doesn't matter why. So I'm realizing that's not going to happen. Um, got married at 20, 31 years ago, went into construction because that's what I didn't know what else to do. I was third generation home builder, um, in central California between Fresno and Bakersfield. Since I know Matt, you're familiar with, with, uh, with California and uh, I, did, I started doing that and just kind of going through motions and really just started settling. I mean, I gave up my dream and I lost my vision. And I think it's a huge thing for us guys is our identity. I, I say it's a huge thing because most, most of the time it's tied to our occupation. And that's a problem. Uh, that can be a massive problem, especially when you lose your occupation or your occupation isn't what you thought it was going to be or whatever. That's a whole nother talk. But I lost my identity. I started settling. The only thing rattling in the back of my mind was CHP. So I don't know why. It was just something I was always kind of attracted to. I thought, you know, maybe I'll be a secret service agent or an FBI agent. Or, I mean, if I'm going to go law enforcement, you know, I thought at least my perspective, and I still have that, is that CHP is pretty, pretty elite uh, from what I, I still believe that from what I've seen, especially working for another PD. But um, anyway, so I went that route just kind of by default. Well, five years into that, I realized here's the answer to your first question. I am way too driven personally. And I'm so grateful for my brothers and sisters that are still wearing the, 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 the badge and doing the thing. I, I, can't, I, I, I don't envy them a bit, especially with all that's happened in our country over the last few decades, since I've got out of it in 2002, but I realized I was too driven. That's the short answer. It's like, man, I, I just can't do this. So my vision had, had, had gone down to, as a police officer, I wanted to help people. I wanted to serve and that's not changed. I realize I'm not really serving at the level I thought I was going to be serving at and helping at the level I thought I was going to help be helping at. So that was a problem. I realized I was too driven to just clock in, clock out because I'd finally got the dream, man. I had 40 acres in Northeast California. We, we I was driving a county that bordered Oregon and Washington. There was 10,000 people in the entire county. There was more antelope and wild mustangs than humans. And I'm driving around with the only quota 500 uh, to put 200 miles on my car in an eight hour shift. That's it. Like, well done. If you can drive 200 miles in eight hours. And that was the attaboy. And I'm like, I'm going to do this for 25 more years and call that a career. I got my acreage. I got, I love to fish. I love to hunt. And I'm like, but there's so much more to life. There's so much more to life. So that's why I got out of it. Dude, so, but how do you, cause I'm all about that. I get that. I feel that right there. Right. I feel that like, here's the, here's the comfort. Here's the security. And you're like, I'm made for so much more than this. And there's so many more things I have to do. Right. right. And that itch is so much stronger than the, the security, the security, theoretical security on this other side. Right. I know for a fact Many of the men on this call, many of the men in this brotherhood, many of the people who listen to this podcast have the same feeling, but they're like, but I can't see steps one through a hundred to my guaranteed success of going out on my own. Why did you have the cojones to do it? Is that a, is that a nature thing? Is it a nurture thing? Like why, why were you able to actually walk away? Well, so my story is maybe a little unique in that regard, but I don't want to get too off track from, from where you want to take this conversation, uh, Matt, but, <laughs> but I grew up in the church. I did the little thing. 
I did all the things I thought I was supposed to do, but it wasn't until 28 years old as a CHP with the wife I always wanted, the three kids and the vasectomy I want, you know, the three kids I thought I wanted with the vasectomy to go with it, which by the way, now I have six and they're all mine. Um, and, and, uh, and, and the, and the F two fifty seven point three liter diesel pickup. That was my dream car at the time truck. It was my dream. I was living the only dream I knew how to live. And I realized, man, I'm like, you said, I'm still not happy. Like inside of here, it's not, it's, it's not, I'm not happy and I'm not fulfilled. And so part of that was I gave my life to Christ. Okay. So that, that's my story is, is I gave my life to Christ. And then at that point in time, again, that was like my first two different seasons of my life. I've reevaluated, seriously reevaluated my life. And that was one of them. And that's when I started just quite a question everything and what I'm doing and realizing, man, I'm, I'm made for more and I'm not literally living out my calling, at least as I saw it then. And so I, <laughs> I, we met some friends in Atlanta. This is how the Atlanta PD comes involved. We, I'm in California, met some friends in Atlanta. They were starting a church. Um, I, I was so compelled to be a part of this with them because again, I just wanted my life to count. And so we move our family from California. I walk away from the highway patrol. Actually, I say five years. I was three months shy of five years. And everyone thought I was crazy because they're like, you can't do three more months and get fully vested. At five years, you're fully vested, dude. You're making 3% a year for the rest of your life times five years at 50 years old. I'm now 51. I'd be cashing those checks, which I'm not missing, by the way. I'm not, I don't regret it. But I'm like, no, I'm ready to roll. And so we went there. I mean, I had no career. I had no nothing. We moved in with another family that allowed us to live rent free. I mean, I started at the bottom and I started working back up and even took a job as a PD back there for a year um to just long enough to realize why I got out of it you know I just realized yeah no I I'm I, I did the right thing I need to shift um got into construction um anyway got got laid off got laid off because I was starting to spread my entrepreneurial ring wings and I asked the guy hey I was running all his jobs small builder you know we're building I don't even know five or ten homes a year and I said, Hey, can I start, you know, build a home on the side, you know, won't interfere with what you're doing. He said, no problem. I started doing that. I took down seven lots with an investor just to get the price point down and started building the one home I asked if I could build. And he flipped a lid and fired me. So here I am back then 35 years old, no job, no income, a family of five or homeschooling. We'd, we'd been homeschooling for several years at that point, had three young children, four, five, maybe by that point, actually five, five and no income. And I'm sitting there going, what in the world am I doing? So it just kind of forced me into entrepreneurship and going, if it's up to be, you know, if I'm going to make it happen, now's the time it's, it's go time. So, um, continued building 2008 happened 2008. There's a, there's a lot more to the story. I'm trying to give you the quick version. 2008, we shifted from building because we couldn't build, yeah. uh, nobody could build I mean, we had to liquidate some stuff at as catastrophic losses and uh, started flipping homes. And thankfully, by the end of 2008, we'd already flipped three homes. By the end of 2009, we'd flipped 100. By the end of 2010, we'd flipped about over 200 homes per year, per mm. year. So mm. we were flipping about, we were buying and selling, rehabbing, rehabbing and mm. selling about a home a day, uh, you know, 20 days, a, working days, like 20 a month, 20 a month. And we had our best years ever. And when other builders were just I mean, national builders going bankrupt and stuff. We 2009 through 2016, when I got out of it, which was still booming, I gave yeah. my company away. But anyway, 
um, was we were crushing. I mean, it never, it slowed down a little bit in 2016, but instead of 200, you know, instead of 20 homes a month, we were doing 15. So freaking rad. Oh, that's awesome. So during all these transitions, because I want to go from there to what you're doing now as well. And then I want to, I'm going to unpack the heartbreaks a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, but during those, those transitions where it's like, all right, man, I'm going to leave, I'm three months out from being invested at CHP and we're going to move to Atlanta. Right. We're going to go in here. Okay. Now I'm going to do the PD for you. Okay. That's not going to work. Going into construction. Okay. Got laid off. You've got a wife. You have five children at that point. How were those relationships impacted during all of this? Because there's, you know, that comes with a little bit of, of, of stress. It comes with a little bit of trepidation. It comes with, you know, some second guessing. And did I do like, what did that look like? in the home is your wife like nope ride or die you've got it covered and figured out is she like hey you're a crazy person like what somewhere in between what did that look like yeah i've got an amazing wife and um she really is her name's nicole and she's phenomenal she's always been 100 supportive she's my biggest fan i mean she's that woman she's like what whatever i she just fully trusted me when i wasn't even trustworthy um, she, she trusted me. And so that's, I don't know why that's part maybe of the answer to your question. Um, she's just been phenomenal. Um, there was another part to your question. I think though, that I'm not. No, it was just, it's just about those relationships. Like during all those times, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. you've got to still maintain that leadership position in the home too. So, you yeah. know, you're wrestling with these things that are external, but that, that, that can impact. So like, how did you deal yeah. with that to maintain your leadership too? Not well. So, so I would love to come on here, Matt. I wish I could come on here and tell you all that I had it figured out. I mean, or even not even that I had it figured out just that I did well. I would like to just say that I got an A or even a solid B yeah. and I can't say that. I mean, to this day, um, as, as I, I don't know if I shared this with you, uh, but I I've got, we have our oldest of six. We have, we have six children. What I didn't tell you is they're all boys except for five of them. So, um, we ended up with <laughs> a girl household, five girls, one boy, the oldest is on the streets of LA somewhere strung out on, uh, anything she can get her hands on, uh, meth, whatever, um, heroin, I don't even know alcohol. And so th there's a lot of the reason I started my podcast a year ago and the reason I started my book a year before that, which is finally done, um, is because I've learned a lot the hard way. And I'm like, man, I never had a dad that was a mentor. I don't, I don't even have a dad. He's alive, but I don't even talk to him to this day. You all just even being a part of this and having associations that you have right here, even though I've never been a part of it specifically with you all and with Matt, I, I just, you're, you're light years ahead. I mean, I look at the screen and I see most of you probably substantially younger than I am. It's like you're light years ahead of me and, and, and I'm envious in a way, but I'm excited at the same time because I can take those lessons I've learned and share them and, and be vulnerable and be real. And I really have nothing to hide at this point. And it's really freeing. By the way, that's another freeing thing just to be vulnerable. But um, but I wasn't a great father. I mean, there was part I, I can look at aspects of my life and go, dude, I was a rock star dad in this area, in this area, in this area. And I was horrible in this area and this area and this area. And my children paid the consequence for it. Um, my oldest is 29 living on the streets of LA surprise. She's even alive. She's been resuscitated. I don't know how many times our 28 year old got married at 19 and she's happily married. I mean, been through a lot, Matt. She had cancer at 14. Um, she's 28 happily married nine years in to 
Luke's brother-in-law. That was, that's the connection. Okay. That's my second daughter. My third daughter's 25 and doing well. Um, and, but, but those older three, they, they went through a lot. They went through a lot where the younger three, um, I've learned a few things and I'm still learning things and I love to get to share some of those things. Oh, it's so good. No. And we don't want, I don't want you to come in and go, Hey, here's the perfect answer. Why don't you come in and just be honest? Cause everybody here is struggling with something and has yeah. struggled with stuff. So that's no man, that's extraordinarily powerful. So just staying on the professional side real quick, if, if you don't mind, because you, I mean, you even alluded to some of those heartbreaks and I know that there's another, you know, another big one or two in there. Um, but you're crushing everything, right? You're crushing everything to that. Like your business is, is doing well. You're flipping all these houses. Everything is going really well, but that's not what you're doing anymore. You no. still shifted it at some point too. You made another jump. You made another change. Can you walk us through that transition, what that was and, and why yeah. Why the transition again? Yeah. Um, the So I guess I'd have to take you to, you know, around 10 years ago, just to keep it round and easy to wrap your head around. Not too many details. Uh, about 10 years ago in that season, give or take a year or so, um, my partner who, well, my parents divorced. My partner who was my brother, little brother, um, top Keller Williams agent, real estate agent in the nation you know, pulling in six, seven, $8 million a year pop net, uh, just from his commissions alone, not to mention investments and partnership with me and in, in our business and all the other things took his life. Um, within that same two year period, his, my little sister took her life, uh, mother, soccer, mom, 39 years old, four kids, happily married, 1500 people show up at her funeral. Like, an amazing lady, like she rocked our world. So a lot, and there's others, but a lot of other things happen. That was the drinking, the DUI that I alluded to earlier, all in that season. I just, I just really lost my bearing and lost my way and started reevaluating everything. What I realized, Matt, was that I never really was about just making a bunch of money. I mean, I wasn't. I, that's why I went to start swinging a hammer at $7 an hour when I got married in 92. It's why a few years into that, I went and worked as a police officer. It was never for me about the money. And even and then what I realized, even in that season of reevaluating, that second season of reevaluating is like, how did I end up here? It's like, what am I doing? Like, what, what am I doing it for? And I have a really good friend, uh, actually from Georgia, who um, he helped me through that season. He asked me some really great questions that really got me thinking and helped me reevaluate everything I was doing. And so as a result of me answering the questions, I did make a pivot and I did completely shift gears and went a whole nother direction. In fact, I, I I went this other direction and I walked into my brother who was alive at the time and my two little cousins who were my three partners in our business. Okay. We're, we're doing again, a significant amount of, of, of revenue uh, for the four of us to split and having, a, you know, having a good time doing it, but it was just, there was no, for me, there was no purpose in it. There was no passion. There was no life change. I like to say I'm in the life transformation business now. That's what I'm about. I'm about life transformation and the things you mentioned, Matt, that matter most, faith, family, fitness, finances. Yeah, that's a part of it. Finances is a big part of it, but it's just, it's actually lowest on my priority of four yeah. uh, if I had to prioritize. So um, I did, and I walked into my brother and my two cousins, and I said, by the way, um, here's the company. Here's my share of the company. I'm gone. 
you know, I mean, I, we did a trade little transition, so I didn't just leave them high and dry, but I'm out and uh, made that shift in uh, 2016 and have never once regretted it. At the time I was living north of Spokane, Washington on 200 flights, 200 segments, 100 round trip, well, 50 round trip flights a year uh, back and forth to central California where, cause our business was mainly uh, central California, mainly central between LA and San Francisco yep. and, and Washington state. We were doing some Washington state work as well, but um, walked in and gave my company away and came home to be a full-time full-time. I say I'm a full-time father and husband now, and I've got a business I love on the side side, which, and, and he casually says that, but from my understanding, you took a very small investment and very quickly grew that to a, you know, at least six, maybe seven figure passive, just passive income. Um, yeah. I know you still put a lot of work into that because I don't even, I don't like the term passive. I'm not a huge fan of that, yeah. of that term altogether, but you, you, you made an efficient business out of that pivot. Yeah. Yeah. And to be fair, I mean, it was something that, um, in that season I had started on the side, um, in conjunction while I'm still running the company, I was a CEO of the company, even though I had three partners and, um, I had started on the side and it was about 16 months earlier. So it was about a 16 month period to build that up to where it was, you know, a, a six figure income coming in to where I could walk away from my salary and give away the company and know I, cause our debt was, you know, a mortgage payment. So I'm like, I can, I can pay the bills, even with a family of eight on what we're making, even though it's a significant pay cut, I could see the trajectory. And more importantly, uh, I was passionate about where we were heading. So yeah, I just walked away and been doing this ever since. Oh, freaking rad. And I'm assuming that's a lot. So I haven't gotten to read the book yet, but I'm assuming that's a lot of what's in the book. And gentlemen, I see the hands and I'm about to call on you just a sec, but I want to make sure um, we get a chance to talk about the book and the process of writing that too. So I'm assuming a lot of those lessons pulled out of all of those things are, are what we can look forward to in, in the book and, and how is the process of writing that? And I mean the process from a technical standpoint, because that's hard to write a book and it's something that's daunting and it's something that takes a lot of time and it's frustrating, but also was there a, a catharsis in there? Did you get to revisit? Like, what was that process like for you too? Yeah, it, um, it was a really, it was a frustrating process and a, and a wonderful process all at the same time. It was frustrating to me because I mean, I want to just map it out. I want to plan it out. I want to block it out and I want to knock it out. And it, and it, it wasn't that simple for me because it just, I had a hard time really even formulating even the layout of the book. You know, I would rewrite the book in my head a hundred times, even just the um, chapters, if you will, you know, the, the, the blueprint, the outline of it. It's like, no. And so it was really hard for me. It was a very difficult thing. In fact, a year into the process, I hadn't made a whole lot of headway. And that's why I started the podcast. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I mean, I don't know how many years it's going to be before I ever have a book. Let's just start a podcast. And besides, it's not about my story anyway. It's about everyone else's, it's about Matt's story. It's about everyone else's story I've had on the show. And I've had some phenomenal people like you, Matt, and others that have lived some phenomenal lives, have gone through some horrendous things, and yet are crushing life in various aspects, you know? And so um, that was frustrating. Um, finally, technically, what I did was the whole, I, I just hired someone to help me. About five months ago, I hired someone to help me. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I had done so much work and still now at that point, I'm a year and a half in, I'm like, I don't even know. I kept telling people, Oh, it's going to be out, you know, spring of 
end of 2022, spring of 23. That last thing was end of 2023. And I'm realizing here back whenever, what are we in August? I don't know. Back in April, probably I'm like, there's no way this is happening by the end of the year. If I don't get some help, I'm just all over the place. So I got someone that could see it from the outside, spent many hours on Zooms with them, verbalizing, you know, looking at Word documents. I mean, I mean, they helped me tremendously. Good for you, man. Good. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to check it out. Um, excited to dive in, excited to share it with some, with some people too. So, oh, so rad. Appreciate that. I've got a million more questions, but these guys are cooler than I am and I love them dearly. So I'd rather have them um, jump in first. This first guy. So normally I won't give you background, Alan, on any of the guys that are asking questions, but I feel like I should warn you about this first guy. His name's Luke, All right. his name's Luke Carpenter. He has uh, just a lot of terrible, terrible things about him, man. But uh, <laughs> we love him dearly. Go ahead, Luke. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, man. I just wanted to get this on video for my son-in-law. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so it's funny, uh, since Josiah and Dakota's wedding, there's been like six times I thought, man, I really should apologize for my groomsman speech <laughs> at the wedding. <laughs> so awesome. I apologize. I got that <laughs> off the plate. That's everybody great. else was boring. So I told everybody I met Josiah in a Mexican prison. So, um, <laughs> that's <laughs> totally awesome. not true. Uh, so he, so, so Luke's been to our farm in Northeast Washington state that we moved from to move to Nashville five years ago. Yeah. And I scratched my head on why you left that place. So gorgeous. So beautiful. beautiful. Um, so, so like looking at you now and the timeline based on what you're saying, like the Alan Blaine that I met back then, I felt like was the same Alan Blaine now, but it sounds like there, it was like, there was a lot of, lot of tough roads between then and now um and you you mentioned um somebody in georgia that reached out to you or that was your mentor my question was going to be was it a mentor that got you through that was it your faith what was it that brought you through those tough times uh to bring you to the alan blaine that we have on the call now today boy that's a great question luke great seeing you again by the way brother um I think it was three things. I think it was first and foremost, my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I said anything different, I wouldn't be telling you the truth of my story. So I got to say that I, I believe that with all my heart and, and all the, anyway, for sure. Um, second thing though, I mean, he uses people and, and he uses and he gave us a mind and he gave us logic and he gave us strategy and all these things. And, and so we, we get to implement or not. Um, but the second thing was I did have some mentorship. I did have some incredible mentorship by that point in my life. The last 10 years has been phenomenal um, in the mentorship that I've had leading up to within a year or two of meeting me, Luke, nine years ago, whenever that was, uh, I really didn't. I didn't have that. And that's what I was mentioning earlier. So that was a big part of it. Um I would tell you that having a vision of knowing where I'm going and why I'm going and who I'm going with my tribe is probably one of the biggest practical things I could say. I couldn't even have told you if you asked me, you know, back then or right before then, why, why are you doing what you're doing? Well, because we're making good money. Like 
I mean, you got to pay the bills. Like that would have been my answer. Like, what? I don't know why I was doing what I was doing. And that's a problem. It's not a problem until you get punched in the face. Then it becomes a problem because I mean, it's the vision now that I have that's pulled us. I mean, like I said, I'm still dealing with stuff. I've got a daughter and that's not the only thing, but I've got a daughter living on the streets. You know how hard it is. I mean, I've got resources to, and you all do too, probably to hop on a plane and I could be there and go find her and get her and get her out of there. Problem is we've had her here for 90 days at a time and got her sober and she wants to go back. I can't save her. And I, and I know the dangers of enabling too. So I've learned that as well. But um, anyway, I think those are the big things. I mean, it's, it's my relationship with the Lord. It was mentorship that I finally had and continue to have. And I'm so thankful for, and, and just phenomenal people that God's brought into my life that I met through other people. And, and, and that's why I was so grateful to be connected with you, Matt, and even to get to meet all, all of your, or some of your tribe here. It's so cool. Like I, I would hope that I could some way, somehow develop relationships with each and every one of you, if it was up to me. Um, Cause I see the value in that. And I'm a part of masterminds. I've been a part of a mastermind. I'm a guy, I mean, a very good friend, dear friend of mine. Um, you know, he was in a, he was in a mastermind with Dave Ramsey for like 15 years, personal, like five of them meeting together every week. Right. And then he saw the value of that and he shared that with me. And then now we're, I'm in a mastermind. We're in a mastermind with like 10 of us. Dave's not in it, but 10 of us where we're meeting every week and we're holding each other accountable. And, and those are the kinds of things that have just been huge in my life. And, and I'm able to be real and transparent and vulnerable with them, even on a whole nother level. Mm. I think Luke. Well, I, that's that's really cool because yeah, I, I um, just meeting you that one time was brief at a wedding, but it it just seemed like you had it together, right? And it's like yeah, to mm -hmm. hear that story is way encouraging because right, we all we all try to mask things or whatever, and then trouble hits. But it hearing that your faith and your friends, the mentorship that you have uh, is huge and still hold on to. So no, thank you so much. And you know, what's really cool is like, like I call them my personal advisory board, but the 10 guys that we are close and we're meeting every week and we have that for our businesses. I mean, a lot of us, if we own companies, like why wouldn't we have it for our life, for our marriage, for our parenting, for our health, for our <laughs> finances too, all that. But, um, Absolutely. but I'm in there with some successful dudes that looked like I used to look it, it, like you described, right? Like when you met me. And, and and you don't have to, and, and when, when they, and it takes them a little bit, especially if, if some of the ones that are newer to our group, it takes them, a, us guys have a harder time, like let, letting the guards down and being real and letting people in, you know, and, but, but as they do that and I see, wow, dude, they're, they're just like, I mean, not just like me, but they, they've got their own things too. We all do. And so as soon as we can get real with it, we can start making some serious progress. So all that to say is wow. I'm not surprised I faked you out, I guess, is what I'm trying to yeah. say. <laughs> great, great job. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, so good, man. Great question too, Luke. Mikey T, go ahead, sir. Alan, thank you so much for being here. This is awesome. So many parallels in your story with kind of what I'm going through. I'm 10 years younger than you, but we have a lot of similar things going on. But so I, I'm here in Apogee because I want to serve. Like I found my tribe. Like these are my people, right? And want to make the leap into doing what you're doing now. And a lot of us are working to earn the affiliate opportunity to go on and coach and schooling stuff and this and that. And um, it seems crazy, but at the same time, I'm like, to me, that's what's going to be fulfilling, right? Um, so maybe if you could share like an early success story in coaching and or an early failure, 
for you know somebody like myself and the other guys that want to get into coaching like hey i thought i could do this and i I fell on my face or this is something i did and it was a good thing Mm. kind of a hard question i apologize you know it is for some reason that that one is uh make make me think (laughs) so you want to know what i a failure i had in that business early on and something i succeeded at yeah or maybe something like hey don't do this (laughs) in your first year of coaching mentoring you know a don't do this moment or uh this this was a really cool thing i did type thing or yeah and i can let you marinate on it and let somebody else go yeah i might i might need to but i would just like the first thing that comes to mind on, on the really cool part is um I'll just tell you, you you probably already know, but seeing somebody playing a small role and seeing somebody have a breakthrough is the most rewarding thing. I can, I can't, I mean, not everyone maybe is wired like me, but I mean, I just, it just drives me to no end. I wake up every morning, just so excited to see ordinary people live extraordinary lives. And I know that I'm an ordinary guy. I'm an introvert. I'm shy. I'd never, you know, done anything that's great or anything all the way. I mean, maybe even a lot of people would say it's not even great now, but I'm just saying in my mind, I hadn't done anything great, even well into 30, my thirties, you know, and yet to be able to help somebody see, man, their limiting beliefs or, you know, how they're thinking. And, and the bottom line is everything is won or lost in the six inches between our ears, every single thing. So to know that regardless of who I'm talking to, that I can, I have the ability to change, not I have, they have the ability to change everything, but I get to play a role in helping them do that. It is, it is super fun. I don't know in that space, what I would tell you that I learned the hard way. I I really don't know, but let me think on that. If something pops in my head, I mean, that sounds might sound arrogant, but I don't, I don't mean it that way. I can tell you all kinds of mistakes I've made, but just not on that one for some reason. Absolutely. Fantastic answer though. Thank you. Oh, I think it's great. And the reality is you're good at building these teams. You're good at building these people. So you're good at helping other people. So I always differentiate there's teachers and there's educators. Teachers give you, I'll give you a script and you just go try to do something to somebody else. An educator does something with, right. And they, they help lift eyes to the horizon. They help transform. They help, uh, engage the mind and they help people see things that a lot of times have already been there, but they help them just to see it and to move and to take action in it, right? You're good at that. Do you think that's a DNA thing? Do you think it's a product of, is it a nature, is that a nature nurture thing? Like where you've had other people pour into you and now you're pouring into them based on kind of how you were poured into? Is it a little bit of both? What do you think on that? Cause you are really good. Well, at I, I think I love to teach. And I've always, I've loved to learn. Let me start there. I've always loved to learn. I've always loved to learn. So I think, I don't know if everybody's this way, but my, my thought is that people who really like to learn do like to teach because it's like, I like to cook because I like to eat. (laughs) Not that I literally like to cook. I do like to cook. Actually, I just don't take time to do it, you know, very much, but, um, cause I've got other things I think are more better use of my time, but But anyway, I love to teach. I love to learn. And I like to think about how I need to learn something. I need to know what I I like to think about what, what is it that someone could say to me that would help me? How, how would I want this broke down? Every time I hear 
a sermon, a speech, a this or that, I'm, or any read some information. I'm always my mind's always thinking, how maybe it was delivered perfectly, but how can I break this down? How would I do it differently? How would I make it more simple, simple to understand, simple to wrap my head around? I'm not saying I execute that well every time. I know I don't, but that's my objective. And so I think that's been really helpful to me in helping others. The other thing that I think has been real helpful to me in helping others is being willing to be vulnerable. I mean, it's one thing to tell people, this is what you should do, and this is how you should think. And I tried that. Maybe this is your answer. I think this is your answer to the first question. You're not, he's not spotlighting anymore. Was it Mike? Okay. Yeah. Mike. 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 So, um, is it's, it's one thing to tell people, but the platform that we have for our audience to hear what we're saying in my experience increases as soon as we can become more relatable with them. It, it gives us the ability, it gives them the ability to go, Hey, this guy is speaking from experience. It's not from theory. He's not just saying he's, he, he's means what he says and he says what he means. So that, that, and really that's not to go back and talk about my book and podcast, but that is why I started the book because as I started coaching people, the early, my mistake, here's my mistake is I, Hey, I'm, I'm the expert, man. I'm the ex CEO of a $40 million company, blah, 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 blah. Half the time. I don't even tell people that anymore. Um, I was in construction, whatever I built homes, flipped homes. Okay. That's what I did. But here's the thing is I came at it without vulnerability. And I realized the results weren't hitting as hard as I wanted them to. So there's my mistake. What I did was I started because a lot of the limiting beliefs were, well, that's great, Alan, for you, but you don't understand my wife. You know, I'm trying to do this thing, but my wife, or you don't understand my kid, my kid, and, or you don't understand my, this health situation, or you don't understand whatever I go. Oh, you know. I, yeah, I've had a nine-year-old in Atlanta Children's Hospital with seizures for a week they couldn't figure out. I, yeah, I've had a wife that was sick for six months back when I was a CHP officer working graveyards and wishing I could be home with her and the three kids she was supposed to be homeschooling. You know, yeah, I've had a 14-year-old daughter with cancer. And yeah, I've been in jail. Yeah, I've this, I've that. I've had my brother take his life and my sister too. And my mom's tried three times. And yeah, you know what I mean? Like, not that I dump all the truck on them, but as I was started to just be a little more real, like, Hey, I don't have it all together. All of a sudden I saw, Whoa, you mean you just, you went through that and you still have been able to live a healthy life. You've still been able to have a thriving marriage 31 years in that's when the scales fell off their eyes. As I'm taught having one-on-one coaching sessions, I'm like, dude, this is powerful. I have got to, it's not comfortable, but it's got to become comfortable. Everything's hard till it gets easy. So let's just make it, let's just do it enough till it becomes uncomfortable or till it becomes comfortable. How am I going to do, I need to put this in a book. So I start the book a year in, I'm like, I'm not getting anywhere. I I need to start a podcast, but that's the answer. I think to your question, Mike. Awesome. That's exactly what I was looking for. Thank you so much. I do appreciate that. Absolutely. Had to help me get it out how to ask it. (laughs) <laughs> thank you sorry it took me so long this is like my fourth podcast of the day i maybe my brain's getting tired i don't know oh that's that's awesome man and sometimes that's the best again that you don't have 
nobody here is expect we don't need anything nobody needs anything polished we need good conversation and this is it and sometimes talking through that i love the example of that there because as we all engage with each other it's asking the questions asking questions in a different way and analyzing those words because that can trigger different memories different thoughts different stories right that's what educators do i loved your explanation of that too going okay look i listen to something and it's a message that's delivered so powerfully but i'm going to analyze it and go what would i do would i have shared a different story would i simplify it what I write great educators, great communicators are doing that, whether they realize it or not, they're analyzing, they're filtering it. They're going, okay, cool. How can I use that right there as a message for good? How can I use that and have that in my back pocket that I'm going to be able to go and help somebody else later, right? What is the pattern? What do I connect that story I just heard to, to something else that happened in my life that like, that's it. That's the educator brain. So I, I, I freaking love it, man. Absolutely. Robbie, go ahead, sir. Robbie Russell, you're up. Hey, sorry. I'm picking up my daughter here from school. Oh, you're good, sir. Um, so I, uh, you, you started to answer my question there at the end, sir. And I appreciate you jumping on here with us today. And I really appreciate your vulnerability because it actually sparked some some emotions uh, for me here that sprung a question. And uh, I have, I have four kids. They're all under the age of six. So they're, you know, they're very young. And um, I find myself, I'm a pretty protective parent. And I find myself, uh, if I think about the what ifs later in life, um, I get some pretty heavy anxiety. And obviously, you know, you have experienced some of parents' worst nightmares when it comes to, to your, your children and some of the experiences that you've gone through already. And I'm just curious, um, maybe how that journey looked for you, that, that idea. Like right now, you know, my kids being young, everything in their life has pretty much been under my control. You know, my wife and I's control under our home. And um I have a hard time envisioning what that's going to look like in the later years as we have to basically send them out into the world and, and let them go and, and just hope that we did enough, you know, and um, I'm assuming that, you know, obviously you've been through some, some tough stuff with the, with, with your children. So I'm just curious more on now that you're on the backside of that and you've had to experience some things, you know, doing the best that you could possibly do as a father, um, if you could just speak on that a little bit. Yeah, boy. First thing that comes to mind as you were talking there, Robbie, is uh, um, one is accepting, first of all, I guess two things come to mind. One is accepting that our children have choices, right? I mean, I know this is not going to be anything you, you don't already know, but they have. it's important, though, to be reminded. They have choices. I mean, I, dude, I can beat myself up and deserve to be beaten up. Honestly, on one hand, I could say that, um, about things I did for years when Lacey, our 29 year old was young. Now that's not going to be productive to do, but I'm just saying, um, but I also know she has choices in the, in the matter too. So as much as I know I've failed, I'm also free, freed up one. I can't change the past two is she had choices. So just knowing that you could be the perfect parent, I guess here, I'm going to say it a different way. You can be the perfect father and nobody can be God was, but you could be the perfect parent and they still have a choice. 
And I know some phenomenal parents that had ch children that made some terrible choices and vice versa <laughs> and vice versa. So there's one thing, okay, but that's not super practical. That's just more just, and, and it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a cop out either. I don't think it should be for a second yeah. to not be intentional and be the very best you can be knowing you had, you should own it and you have responsibility, a big we. As men, fathers, we have a huge responsibility. Okay, so I'm not discounting that. But here's the big thing I would say is practically speaking, I, here's one of my huge mistakes. And I think about Lacey the most, but I never pivoted. I never pivoted. Not that it's a switch that flips out on a certain day or an age, but I didn't pivot into those pre-team years from, from this is what you need to do. This is what you shouldn't do. I mean, I'm the dad. I'm the cop. I mean, I'm just wired that way. You know, it's like, do this, don't do this. I'll, I'll be the one. I'm, hey, it's for your best because I know what's best. You don't. And boom, boom, boom. From being that, which is essentially a lot of what it is when they're little, right? Not that we do it with a frown on our face, but I'm just saying that's a lot what it is. But I didn't switch to being the coach. I didn't switch to to teaching through questions. I never, I, I just, I just didn't know what I didn't know. I wish, I mean, so badly, I wish I could go back. Now, thankfully I get to do it with my younger ones, my younger three who are now 16, 18 and 19, but it's so fun now when I can, like when I can come alongside and, and, I, and another example, I'm kind of jumping here, but like our dating age daughters are 16 and 19 year olds before out with the other ones <laughs> with Josiah, Luke, I would have been like, Hey, it's time to clean the gun figuratively. Okay. Time to clean the gun. Some guys coming over. No, not anymore. Not anymore. Now I'm going to be his best bud. I mean, not his best bud, but we're going to be buds. We're going to hang out. We're going to talk. Hey, you want to go surfing? I'll let's go jump in the boat. I'll take you surfing right now. You know, you want to, well, whatever, let's just sit. I'll sit, let's sit and talk. Let's talk. Let's, let's spend time together. And, and so two things, one is now I'm coming alongside my, they're now they're 16 and 19, but I'm just saying that should have started at you know, 11, 12, 13. Hey, what do you think of this guy? What do you think of this? Or why did you do this? Instead of you shouldn't have done that. Why did you do that? Tell me, tell me your thought process. Oh, you think you want to go to college? Why? Tell me why. What's the thought? What's the, re you know, instead of like, well, this is what I think. And that was a huge mistake I made. And I think that what I've experienced is if you can make that shift you know, as the years start going by and you just start getting more and more coming alongside and coaching and questioning and teaching through questions and drawing stuff out of them, dude, they're going to do what they're going to do. And they're just going to do it behind my back. Like the first three did because they, we didn't have that relationship at some point, the, the cop dad doesn't work. It's not for their best. It's not for my best. It's for nobody's best. So I think that's the best advice. I would just say, if you can ex execute that, execute that, and it's not that hard and it's a lot of fun. It's so much fun when they're coming back to me going, Hey dad, what'd you think of that guy after he left? He's just over hanging out at the house. You know, what'd you think of him? Or they're coming back going, I go, what did you think of this or, what, or whatever the situation? I'm just guys are on my mind kind of right now. Cause I've got a 16 and 19, you know, that's kind of real life right now for us, but it can apply to a whole bunch of different scenarios. Um, and, and they're coming back, you know, we just, we have dialogue. I mean, you can't teach, you can't coach. You have no influence. I have influence with them. I didn't have influence with the older three. And that was the biggest mistake. And the reason why is I lost the right to have influence because I stayed the cop, um, through the preteen years and teen years. And it's just not effective. Mm. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Beautiful. Oh, so good. So good. Mr. Hunt, go ahead. 
Thanks, Matt. Uh, good to see you, brother. And hi, Alan. Nice to meet you. My name's Brian Hunt. Uh, that little rant there, man, I just took so many notes. I have a, a five-year-old little girl. And so I grew up with kind of more like the the cop than the coach. And on the boy side, I think that's true as well. So um, jumping you're, saying the- your dad, you're saying your dad was that way with you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It- in that season, maybe he didn't flip to the, yeah. the coach either. So yeah, and you can think about the reason I asked that is because you can think, like I can think, we didn't have a relationship, a real relationship in our teen years, and I was doing what I was going to do, and I just didn't want him to find out, and so it, it's just not effective. So yeah, go ahead. Same, different, yeah, same thing. Um, so my question is, uh, you you mentioned your friend in Georgia, and that he asked you some questions when you were going through your hard times. Is there a couple of those questions? that you think might benefit the group or that stand out that were most impactful? Yeah. Um, they were, there were, they were questions like if nothing, I mean, they're very simple questions, but they're profound. Like if nothing changes, I think these are all great questions for all of us to ask ourselves. If nothing changes and fill in the blank in your marriage, in your parenting, in your health, a lot of that context was in my career um and your finances but fill in the blank in your life okay if you want to just make a bit blanket if nothing changes 5 10 15 years from now how are you going to feel about that like are you okay with that cuz sometimes we don't we're so busy being busy we just don't even and that that was kind of my life like and you don't really slow I I'll, I'll speak for myself I didn't slow down to really think about yeah what what is what is this road where is this road taking well, am I going to be happy where it leads 20 years from now or at the end of my life for that matter. And so it was questions like that. He also um, really challenged me in questions like, you know, when you're, and I, and I, and I say this a lot, I use this figuratively when you're at the end of your life, if, if, if figuratively speaking, it, it plays out this way for me, I'd be 120. Okay. That's, that's my plan. I'm living to 120. And when I say that I'm planning to live to 120, I know today might be my last day. I know my days are numbered. I don't know how long I will live. I'm not claiming to know or any of that, but if we're going to plan for something, I'm planning for 120 with my money, with my health, what I put into my body, with my relationships, with, with, with everything, with, with my business, my occupation. So if I'm 120 and figuratively speaking, I'm at the end of my life and I'm sitting on the rocking chair. This is what he asked me. You're on, you're in your rocking chair and you're watching the sunset on your life. You know, are you going to have regrets? Are are you going to feel like your life was a success? And if so, why? And, and questions like, you know, do you think you're living the plan, the purpose, the calling and with the tribe and the people, all, all of that, do you think you're doing what, what God's put you on the earth to do? You know, you, you were created for Jeremiah 29, 11 says that God has great plans for all of us, right? Plans to prosper us plans, you know, for a hope and a future and not plans to harm us, not plans for evil, not plans for the way I was about to destroy my life at that point in my life. And so just kind of questioning, like, what is your reason? Like just some basic questions, like what is your purpose for being here? What are you doing? And how does this career or this or that fit with that purpose and that plan? How does it facilitate it? And if it doesn't, then why are you doing it? Those kinds of questions. Love it, man. That's great, man. Thank you so much, Alan. Absolutely. Nice to meet you. Jeff G. Aiden and Alan. Uh, love the ball. It's a beautiful look you got going on, man. Uh, 
just want to kind of set the table real quick. Uh, so suicide survivor, 2019, uh, you know, when spent a couple of days in the hills, came back and decided that I was going to radically change my life. Um, exited a, uh, a toxic marriage, met uh, the most beautiful woman in the world. I'll take that. I'll give her the trophy on that one. Uh, two little boys since then, so two boys and a girl and a young and budding business and a new uh, homestead that we're working on. And I think the greatest challenge that I find myself battling on a daily basis and having been through those wars, how did you manage your energy for, for the battles that you have uh, ongoing and in the past? For example, your daughter in California, those troubles and those things, they weigh on us, they draw on our energy. And, you know, they're, they're not a tangible battle that we can fight every day, but mentally we're in them. And so for me, just the biggest question is how do you manage your energy every day to, uh, you know, the, the, the purpose of today and what has to move forward to today. And then also what you're just trying to get through to survive to tomorrow. So good. I'm glad you asked that question. It's such an important question, Jeff. Sorry for all you've been through, but man, it sounds like a lot of exciting new in the last four years. A lot. Um, life is an energy game. And we all know that. I mean, marriage is an energy game. You don't have energy. What kind of husband are you? Father, entrepreneur, employee, whatever it is, right? It's it's such a great question. So for me personally, um, when I think about that, what do, what do I do? Um, I know what happens when I don't get my sleep. The uh, first thing you were talking about, I'm like, sleep, sleep. I mean, I used to grind. I used to, it's like sleep's the first thing that's easy to cut. And I used to think I was doing some great thing. And even, you know, there's, you know, and I know everyone's different. So if some of you are just thriving, cutting your sleep, whatever, maybe that's, that's great for you. And I, I know we're all wired a little differently, but generally speaking, generally speaking, and statistically speaking, everything I've seen and what I know from experience for me is, dude, I protect my sleep. Like I, I I'm, I'm, our goal is we're, we're Nicole and I we're in bed by nine, nine 30 at the latest. And that may or may not be practical in certain situations. I understand, but that's a big deal. Um, trying to get eight hours sleep every night. My morning routine is just, it's just, it's just a part of my life now where I wake up and I am giving gratitude. I'm giving thanks. I'm just trying to think of everything I can be thankful for. I'm spending time in the word. I'm spending time in prayer. I'm exercising six days a week. I only take one day off. Um, today it was, uh, today it was legs, core and a four mile run, you know, in about an hour, it's like an hour workout or whatever. I work out about an hour a day, nothing super major or whatever, but that's super important to me. I take the most phenomenal, I, I eat very, very well, very clean. Um, so important. Like these little things are huge things. I mean, when I was drinking like 10 years ago, when I was drinking other things, you know, I wasn't prioritizing. How could I prioritize my sleep, prioritize my diet, prioritize these other things and everything suffered, every, my mental health, everything, everything suffers. Um, I, I, so we eat really, really good. We take We take, we just take great lengths to buy good quality food, uh, to eat quality food. We take I don't want to tell you how many supplements we take, um, but a lot in addition to eating very well. And that's a huge thing too. In fact, that's my business. Okay. So we had been taking nutritional supplement. My wife, I mentioned earlier that my wife got sick 
I, I just mentioned that in passing with a bunch of other stuff. But when we were 26, six years into marriage, she was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. And that led to insomnia and depression and IBS and imbalance of hormones. So not any one thing may be life-threatening, but you add all six of them together. And it was a really deep, deep, deep uh, tough season for a couple of years of our life. And that sent us on a health journey. We stopped eating, you know, fast food, drive through the standard American diet, which the acronym spells sad because it is, you know, gave up the Pepsis and the Coke and all that stuff. And that that's when we started pivoting and looking at stuff. Anyway, that led us to take finding some food-based nutrition that changed the game for her. Well, fast forward 15 years, we've been taking that stuff for 15 years and um, my friend from Georgia became the VP of the company that marketed the products. And so he, he, that's, that's kind of the route I took to build a six figure income on the side while I was still running my company. And, um, so anyway, we still take the products today, but I'm a big believer in supplements. So I think it's all those things though, diet, exercise, sleep, and, um, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's keeping my mind, right. It's Romans 12. It's renewing my mind and keeping this right, right here, because I stress will just wear the heck out of you. You know, it'll, it'll cause all kinds of problems physically, physiologically, and every other way. So I think it's just a combination of all those things. And if any one of those things is suffering greatly, it's, it's a problem. I mean, all of them are important. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Yeah. My wife noted that, I came home from Costco the other day with uh, one of the big jugs of the peanut butter pretzels. And she's like, all right, you're, you're sleeping three and a half, four hours a night. And you just came home with peanut butter pretzels. What the hell's going on? Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. So um, no, thank you for that. And thank you again for your time today, sir. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. Let's work on those peanut butter pretzels there, sir. <laughs> so good though. Those are big. Time, of man. course they're so good. That's great. I'm not going to bring another man home and go, Hey, here's my wife. I'm not going to right. Like I'm not. I'm not going to be unfaithful. Now I'm not going to be unfaithful. My body either, man. I'm not going to introduce it to something that it doesn't need to be introduced to. Yeah. So go throw those to the ducks out there on the homestead. Yeah, absolutely. Good man. And then don't eat the duck. And then do it, Mr. Nash. Thank you, Matt. Afternoon, brothers. Alan, thank you for being here. Thank you for your time. Um, Paralleling what Mike said, uh, I, I see a lot of similarities between your past and, and my own as well with the, some of the negative space. To your history uh, of, of your eldest daughter, my, my mom is also on the verge of homelessness as well with her mental issues. I've tried to address it for now three decades of my life, and I've been unable to. Um, so just, you know, full vulnerability, how are you able to show up? So, so I, I, I feel like a success in my life. Haven't been to prison. I got out of my hometown. I'm not on drugs. I'm not, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't gone the way of, of many of the people that I grew up with. And so I've, I've got a successful job right now. I've got a wonderful home. I've got a wonderful wife. I've got a great relationship with my daughter. And I've got this issue with my mom that I cannot solve. How are you able, is it compartmentalization? How are you able to still show up and deliver coaching and, and, and deliver your success with that, with that, that thing in the back of your mind? 
Yeah. I'm sorry to hear about your mom. Um, it, it's super hard and I'm not going to say it's easy, but absolutely it's compartmentalizing. I, I, it, it kind of goes back to the fact that I understand that someone has to be willing to participate in their own rescue and whatever context that, that applies to a lot of things. But in this case, it really does. And I also understand that. And I'm so grateful to have, I mean, like the guy that wrote the forward to our book is, is the pastor of our church. And, um, he, he's a great guy. Uh, but he, he was an addict. I mean, he, he was, he had a $300 a day, you know, cocaine and heroin or cocaine and something addiction, you know, 20 something years ago, stole 15,000 from his parents. And he's the one that said, and many other friends of mine as well, but he's the one that said, you know, that if his parents had not um, had just like enabled him in any way, because his story is maybe different than you and your mom, but he, they basically told me it's time to not come home anymore. Like you need to not come home. It took him three months of living without electricity, without power, without water. That's how bad it was um, to kind of come to the end of himself and knowing that their only hope is, is probably not me. It's probably not me. It's not me that I can fix it. I guess that's maybe said a better way is knowing that I can't fix it. You can't fix your mom. And it's hard to swallow that and accept it because especially as guys, man, we want to fix it. I want to fix this. I want to fix something broken on the house. I want to fix my wife. If she's broken, I want to fix my children and we can't. So just coming to grips with the fact that, man, I need to own what I need to own and I need to be who I need to be for whoever in my life and releasing the rest. And again, as a Christian, I, I get to lift them up to the healer and the one that loves them more than me, that has more power than me, that knows exactly what they need. And I just need to step in and do what it is I'm called to do and release the rest. And it's, I may be easier said than done, but I've had to learn that. Like I've had to learn that because I've been, I've gotten so in my head about different things that then other things start breaking and falling in my life, starting with my health and my energy back to the last question. It's like how, the first thing they do is tell you to put a mask on yourself before you start, start helping others on the airplane, right? If it goes down, it's like, that's not going to be helpful. If I'm sitting here worrying about something I have no control over and now I, it's affecting me and now it's affecting the other ones I love, which I imagine it's got to, you know, your wife, your children, your, your job. I don't know. So it's just a conscious decision to release it and release Definitely. it to someone a whole lot smarter and wiser than me and being willing to do what I can do. But it probably isn't much at this point, I'm guessing. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your work. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Oh, it's tough. It is, it is tough. Some great wisdom right there, though. You know, and, and gentlemen, we've used this, we've talked about this before, but, you know, whether you take a biblical perspective or, or you don't, um, or just take the story at face value for what it's worth. But, you know, again, God pulled people out of slavery, pulled people out of Egypt, Right? They were in slavery. And what did the vast majority of them do? They asked to go right back in. They got mad at him. They got mad at the leader that was sent. They asked to go back to being comfortable. More people, it is, it is an allegory for the history of the world. More people are comfortable going back into a known slavery than an unsure freedom. It's just the nature of the beast. So your job is to do exactly what Alan said, be the best version of yourself. You offer 
that that little life right you know little little floaty device man you throw it down there and you offer it and you're ready to pull but you're not yeah. going to jump in there and and shove them down there and to get it you know you just you're not going to do that man can't do it that's that's a great analogy is throwing the life ring but that when i said they got to participate in their own rescue they, they still have to it. grab it you gotta grab it you have to grab it yeah. and i've told my daughter and i've told her i don't know if this applies to your mother or not but I've told my daughter, you know, that when you're ready, I mean, I had to repo my car from her. I mean, I've had to do some, I mean, she was supposed to make payments on a, whatever Kia Sportage or something that we had bought for her. And, you know, obviously the payment stopped. And then I find out she's living in the car with a guy and I'm like, and then it goes into the shop because it needs brakes, but she can't pay for the brakes. So I pay for the brakes and it's my opportunity to have someone in LA go get the car and sell it for me. And like, I had to, she's like, well, I'm going to be sleeping in the park or on the street. This was going back a couple of years. I'm like, yeah. And that's horrible. When you're ready to change and you think you've got a problem and you want to get help, I will be on the next flight out there to help you. Like, I love you. I will, I, I'll cancel every, every meeting I've got does not even matter. I'll be there. Like she knows that. And they need to know that, but until they're ready, the that's life it. ring sitting there laying next to them. And that's all you can do. That's exactly it, man. It's exactly it. And I always say, you know, if God himself is going to get rejected, by somebody as he's offering help and he's going to get it. Well, then who are we? Of course, somebody's going right. to, of course, we're all going to experience that. If we try to help enough people, there's no way to avoid it. The, the pattern's already there. We've been shown by the designer, like that there's no way to avoid it. We try to help enough people. Eventually you're going to get to the point where somebody is going to reject the help and there's not anything that you can do about it. Yeah. That's what it is. Oh, this is man, Alan. So good and so much dang fun, man. So I, I know we've you know we've come to the end here of the hour, and I know what you've got going on here tonight too. So I want to just uh, ask one final thing, and it's how do we support you? So of course I wanted to go like, hey, where can everybody go? Where can we find the book? Where can we follow you? All of that stuff is is good. I want you to include that if you you can start there, right? Where where can we find find Alan? Where can we find the book? Where can we listen to the podcast? But I want you to end it, if you don't mind, with how we can support you. And I'm talking to us here as an organization. Like, how do we support Alan Blaine? So start start by where we can find you. Well, man, appreciate that. I, I don't know how you support me. I'm just, I, I came on here to support you, Matt. But thanks for asking. Um, how you can find me, my website is, well, I guess you can kind of see it on the Zoom here. But in, in case you, you can't, it's. It, my name is spelled a little uniquely. So it's Alan with two L's and an A. So it's A-L-L-A-N, Blaine, B-L-A-I-N.com is my website. So alanblaine.com, um, pretty much everything is there. It's kind of being revamped right now, but all my socials and all that, I'm in on Facebook and Instagram and all the things. So I can be found on any of those places. Um, love connected on social media. If anyone wants to do that, send me an email, whatever, it's all there. Um, would love to chat with you one-on-one -on -one about any of the aspects of, of life in any way that I can help. Um, the book you asked about the book, the book will launch September 21st and I'm awesome. super excited about that. It'll be hardback, paperback, audio book, all the stuff, ebook. Um, if anybody is into Kindles, and and likes the ebook version of it or whatever we've got the book for 99 cents up until the 21st so like right now you could go on amazon.com not the app i don't know why they, they amazon won't pre-sell books on the app but on amazon.com 
Um, you can get Life's Hard Succeed anyway you know, for 99 cents if you want the Kindle version of it or pre-order it. They'll email it to you on the 21st, I guess is how that works. Um, that's about it. I don't I don't know how you can support me. I, I I just feel like, you know, being a part of of your community is is support enough. And I look forward to hopefully getting to connect with some more of you guys. And Matt, you're you're a huge, huge blessing and encouragement to me. And I'm thankful to be connected to you. So thank you for letting me come on here and share a little bit of my story. Likewise, man. Likewise. It's just so grateful for you. Grateful for how you're showing up, man, th for your time here tonight. And you're not that far, man. So we need to make, uh, we'll need to make something happen. We only got a few hours in between, so we'll have to make it happen. Speaking hey. of the Ramsey guys, I'm supposed to be out there at some point here in the next couple months to meet with Mr. Coleman. So, um, if we do that and, and uh, maybe Elizabeth as well, and I want to get a hold of you. So we'll have to make yeah. it happen. Well, if you do and you bring your family, dude, I'll, we'll take them out surfing or pull them on a tube or have some fun out on the lake. We'll do it, man. We will do it. Brother, thank you. I'm going to take these guys through a little debrief and a little bit more of a chat, um, but I will touch base with you shortly as well, man. Thank you so much for everything. I appreciate you. Sounds great, guys. Thank you so much for joining tonight. Nice to uh, meeting you all. And uh, thanks again, Matt. Have a great night. See you, brother. You have now taken the step to becoming a great leader of tomorrow. Join the Apogee program by visiting www.apogeestrong.com. For inquiries, contact us 916-728-0606 or email matt at apogeestrong.com. Thank you for listening to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. Stay tuned for more episodes.